it's Alexa here and no you haven't switched on your Amazon Echo silly you're here for another episode of Singing Teachers Talk the podcast that gives you great interviews insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing and today I'm joined by an internationally renowned vocal coach teacher of teachers podcast host and author so who else could I be talking about other than Mr John Henney himself John how are you thank you for joining me today I am very well. How are you? Good, thank you. It's really nice to actually speak to you in person. I've kind of emailed you across the years, joined your boot camp when I first started teaching, and um, now it's really good to actually get to chat. Uh, So 2020, let's start there. That was a bit of a bonkers year. I think you might agree with the COVID pandemic. Um, And we recently chatted about um, you having COVID yourself. So before we kind of get into you and your experience with working with singers during that time, how are you and how are you feeling? And and how did that kind of affect you as a voice user? Well, you know, well, thank you for asking. I'm I'm feeling great. Um, Thankfully, I was uh, fully vaccinated. But I, I will tell you, I know everybody likes to say that they were careful. But I was that person who was ridiculously careful. I mean, I had, I wouldn't even go to the grocery store. I was having my groceries delivered, wore a mask everywhere, rarely went anywhere because I thought, you know what? I, I just don't want to get this on any level because I, I just don't have the time to deal with it. And uh, lo and behold, I allowed myself one time where I dropped my guard and I got it. And it, um, it hit me a lot harder than I thought it would have. And and I got sick in this little brief period where the COVID rates were going down and we thought this was all behind us and everything was opening up. And after my exposure, a few days later, I started hearing about breakthrough cases. And I thought, oh, I'll need to be more careful. And then a couple of days later, I was sick. Um, luckily, it didn't get into my lungs. My I monitored my oxygen levels and and was with my doctors. But the the worst part of it, and is the brain fog and that and the fatigue and you really realize how much you need your brain when you are singing and when you are teaching. So, have you saw anyone um, over this this year who has shared that brain fog as a singer? And um, how has COVID kind of hit your singers? What have their experiences been? Yeah, I mean, I've I've know some people who who've dealt with uh, who are dealing with long COVID, and um, I just recently had on my podcast. It, it'll be coming out soon, uh, Dr. Rachel Goldenberg. And she works with a lot of long COVID sufferers. And the brain fog and fatigue really is the thing that is is so traumatic for singers because just their energy levels. I mean, each of us has so much in the tank each day. And and some people are blessed with having more energy than others. Uh, But these, these poor singers, they have so little in the tank and they have to be so careful. And if they overextend themselves, then they can be wiped out for a day or two afterwards. Um, And also, I uh, spoke recently with uh, Dr. Rina Gupta, who is a laryngologist here in Los Angeles. And uh, she's talking about clients who are out on the road 
and trying to tour and just all the breakthrough cases that are that are causing their their tours to struggle it's just it's not easy mm. you know luckily with with the with the vaccine i am convinced just because um i'm getting to that age where it it can be a uh, a problem and i also uh, have childhood asthma that flares up here and there i i I believe if I wasn't vaccinated, I could have been in, in some trouble. Yeah, but thankfully, thankfully you're here and you are having a chat with me. So I'm so glad to hear that you are better. Yes, thank um, you. But good news about 2020 was the publication of your third book. Yes. Which is awesome. I've really enjoyed your books. Um, so that one's Beginning Singing. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Why books? What's made you choose books as your format of getting your voice out there in a different way? Well, you know, books really are uh, kind of the ultimate calling card. Yeah. Because if you can, you can, if, if you're being introduced, you can talk about your CV or you can just say author of blank. And that, that just puts a different perspective in the audience's mind, but also it's, it's a really good exercise for me in, in getting my thoughts down and of the, the books that I have written, because I wrote two books for voice teachers, and those books were much easier to write than the beginning singing book, because I really had to constantly rewrite to make sure my thoughts are really clear. I couldn't uh, presuppose that there was any knowledge base. Every I had to figure that everything was new to the reader. And that was a tough one, but um, I really try and find ways to explain things in really simplified ways. Some people may say too simple, but in, in ways that, that people can understand it and then more importantly, use. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, when I've been reading your books, I, I've, I've read the, the Voice Teacher Influencer ones um, and then, and then comparing that with beginning singing brings me on to the question of how much of the science do you think is important for the actual singer to understand in order to progress with their voice outside of the studio? So when they're not with a coach, I think that the average singer should understand on a, on a basic level, just how the vocal cords work, that you have muscles inside the vocal cords when you're singing low notes that will tense up and make them fatter. And then you have muscles that will stretch and thin them. And then you have to develop this ability to have this, this healthy tug of war between them, because especially on the higher notes, if one dominates over the other, you'll, you'll either start to over squeeze and strain, or you're going to have too little vocal fold contact and they're going to over, uh, thin. And then just a simple understanding of acoustics, that these sensations that we, we feel, as, as Ken Bozeman will, uh, calls them false kinesthesia, these, these sensations of the voice going behind the eyes and maybe out the head or down in the chest, it's not really what's happening. But if we understand these, these shifts in the interaction of the sound wave we've created and the resonators, 
it explains why we feel these things and it explains why you have a vocal break and it explains why you need to approach your vocal break in certain ways. And it also, why if you go to belt, you're going to have a slightly different approach to the vowel than if you're, when you're first learning and, and just trying to get the voice to line up so that you're not cracking and falling apart. So the, the, the subtleties of the vowel tuning become really important for singers. But having said that, it's ultimately just got to be in your body. And one of the things that I've really changed about my, my thoughts about teaching and singing is I used to be very cause and effect driven. You know, that, that it, this, this certain vowel will cause this resonance that's going to give you this result. And that's true. But in the, in the heat of battle, when you're singing, you, you, can't go, you can't do these calculations. It really has to become in, in the body and more of just kind of these external holistic instructions that the, that the singer can, can experience and, and call very, very uh, quickly. Hmm. Yeah. And, and what, would be, what would be your kind of go-to tip for, let's start with the singer. Uh, what would be your go-to tip for the singer to adjust themselves acoustically um, and and be able to kind of embody that. What's your top tip there? Yeah. So my top tip is is one that I I joke about, and I say I'm I'm going to write a book on singing, and the book will have one page, and on that page will be a single word, and the word is uh. And the reason I say uh is if if you if you put your finger on your your larynx, that little bump there on your neck, and you just say, ah, uh, ah, uh. You'll feel the uh drop, and it, and it actually begins to put you in a better acoustic position. Most of your issues as a singer, the acoustic issues, are happening with, with the, the acoustics more associated with the throat resonator. And what will happen is the throat resonator will try and hang on as, as a really dominant resonator. It likes to really be involved because when we're speaking, the throat resonator is very involved. That's why we feel the sympathetic vibrations in the chest. We call it chest voice. But if it tries to stay over-involved as we go higher, well, much like uh, the, a piccolo is shorter and smaller than a flute, we need a smaller space for these higher notes, if you will. So the throat has to keep making itself smaller and smaller, which causes us to get into all kinds of constrictions and the larynx comes up and people feel like they're singing from their throat. What uh does is it gets the larynx to drop and allows the resonances to, to move, to shift. And we feel this lift. People will call it mix, passaggio. But but going into this uh condition, to me, is a really good outer instruction. Rather than worrying about the position of your larynx, you just take a nice, almost surprised breath and say, uh. And you're very likely in a pretty balanced laryngeal position. And that's a good starting point. Fab, fab. And then for the, for the teacher, so I might be speaking for a few vocal coaches here when I say that acoustics is probably one of the areas that I feel like, oh, I've got it. Wait, <laughs> uh, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I think, okay, <laughs> now what do I do now? Okay, I'll put it away. <laughs> I'll save it for another day. Uh, where, where, can, where can we start 
as as vocal coaches in understanding how to manipulate or even to understand the kind of whole scope of acoustics so we can implement it into our teaching confidently yeah it's listen i i had the exact same experience and i'll still have that experience um with certain aspects of it um my my first introduction to it was um the great dr donald miller who um, has sadly passed away but uh, donald miller was just this brilliant mind and and as he was talking i'm going okay i i know I need to know this, but I I'm lost. And, and I asked him if he had a book and he did. And, and I got his book and I read one paragraph and I felt like I needed a nap. And, and, and it turns out he'd written his book for his peers, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a voice scientist, but you know, these, these brilliant minds that, that can really uh, pull this apart, but uh, on a, on a very basic level, if you just start with the understanding of harmonics and just that the, the pitch that you're hearing is actually comprised of many pitches, and then the idea that your vocal tract is a filter, much like an EQ system. So just as a, as a DJ can have a track running into the DJ rig, you can, with that filter for effect, they'll very often they pull out all the highs, right? And then they build and then they crank the highs and it creates this excitement. But the information from the track has never changed. It's the same. It's the same song. It's just the filter has changed. So you begin to realize that your vocal tract is a filter and that there are resonances within the vocal tract that can be moved. And where the confusion comes in is this word formants. And even more confusing, the definition of formants has even changed or is changing now. So that the, the resonances within the vocal track were synonymous with, with a formant. But now the formant, and if you don't understand this, that's fine, because this took a while for me to get my brain around. But when the sound wave goes into the vocal track, right, and then the vocal track, those resonances will boost certain parts of the sound wave, that measurable boost is called the formant. Right. So just take the word boost and replace it with formant. There's something about that word formant that just makes the brain go, what? And then teachers can just, if they, they really understand that it's the, the resonance more associated with the throat, that's where most of the problems are. And what will happen in most singers is that resonance, the singer will either move it too high, so they go into the shout, huh, or too low, whoo, so they go into the hoot. And this, this idea of mix is that resonance needs to kind of float between the two. But, but these two extremes are like uh, magnetic poles. And so the voice tends to get pulled to one or the other. And so that's where our job is, is, is dialing in the resonances of the throat so that we're not at those, at those poles unless there's a musical reason to do so. And that within this spectrum, you have at the lower end, you have a little bit softer singing a little more mellow, rounder, warmer. And then if you bring this to the higher part of mix, it gets brighter, it gets more intense, it gets beltier. Mm. And how are we manipulating that? Is that with the different vowel shapes, where the tongue might be, the lips, the jaw even, just all of those movable aspects that will influence the tract? 
Absolutely right. So I view it as you, you've got four main ways to adjust the vocal track, adjust this filter, right? As, as the DJ is. So our filters are laryngeal height. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the problem with the larynx is as we go higher, we need a smaller space in which to resonate this, right? I mean, if you, if you look at a big pipe organ in a church, you can, you can point out the pipes that are attached to the high notes versus the pipes that are for the low notes, right? Very easy, very visual. So the larynx coming up makes that acoustic space smaller, but it does it in a very inefficient way. So we have other ways to make that, that smaller as we go higher. So laryngeal height is variable. I used to think the larynx just had to be in this one position. It, it doesn't. Your larynx can move. And a high larynx in and of itself is not necessarily bad. It's why is the larynx high? That's the question. And when people are shouting, the larynx is always high, so that so the larynx is usually pointed out as the culprit, but it's not necessarily the only culprit. But you have your larynx, then you have your jaw. And the jaw is very important on the higher notes, because if I drop my jaw, and I'm doing a visual here, but you can do it yourself, put, put your finger on the corner of your mouth, yeah, and put one finger on your larynx, and then drop your jaw, your fingers come closer together. So what you've done is you've shortened the vocal tract. It feels like you're making everything bigger, but you're actually shortening the vocal tract. So dropping your jaw is a very efficient way to make the vocal tract shorter for, for higher notes. So you have your larynx, your jaw, you have your lips. If you move, if you round your lips, you are dropping those resonances. Uh, if you widen your lips, you are raising those resonances. So if you're trying to belt a higher note, if you round your lips too much, you're going to lose energy. You're pulling energy away from the, the higher parts of the sound wave that we need for belt. And then finally, the tongue. And the tongue's the tricky one because we tend to have more awareness of our lips. And even though the tongue is this big muscle that's in the middle of our mouth that we use all day for talking and swallowing, um, we don't tend to have as much kinesthetic awareness of it. But if the tongue moves forward, you know, the back of your tongue is the acoustic room divider between your throat resonator and your mouth resonator. If we move the tongue forward, the throat gets longer, mouth gets smaller, move the tongue back, mouth gets bigger, throat gets smaller. That's why people tend to want to flip or struggle when they're trying to sing strongly on an ooh, because the ooh vowel drops all the resonances. So that's hard to belt, but also e, because the tongue is so far forward that the throat resonator is a little too long. So that, that initial resonance that we struggle with is getting a little too close to the ooh, wanting to flip. So these, these vowels, learning to adjust these vowels and pull them. And I'll go back to it, pull them towards an uh condition can yield um, some pretty good results rather quickly. So I mean, curse composers when they try and uh, belt an E. <laughs> Don't make yeah, and it's, it's a big one because we constantly sing about you or me. Yeah. And, and <laughs> U and E are both terrible belt vowels. And so people struggle and they go to May, which, which is the singer's attempt to try and get some higher frequencies into the E, some, some belt energy, but then it begins to distort the vowel. Yeah, a whole world, a whole world of things to delve into and change and manipulate. I, I quite like that puppetry of it all. Yeah, and, and people just need to realize 
what vowels actually are. And um, this is, I get this from Dr. Ian Howell, and he has uh, this idea, uh, absolute spectral tone color. And, and what it is, it's, ac it's actually rather fascinating. But if, if I just sing, ah, uh, in that ah, uh, each individual harmonic or, or partial of that has all the vowels in it. You can hear ooh, and then I'll isolate one, and you hear it o, a, e, 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 and it's that what vowels are is vowels are frequency. Vowels are how we hear certain frequencies. Vowels exist in our minds. I mean, think about a siren. You hear sirens wee woo wee woo. There's nothing in that siren to make an e or an ooh. It's how we perceive vibration. We hear vowels. We evolved to understand language. And so these, these create vowels for us so we can communicate. So vowels are just perception. Singers will try and associate vowels with mouth shape. Yeah? Oh, an ooh is like this and an e feels like this. But as you sing higher, those mouth shapes, they change. It's not the same. Mm. And speaking of, of language and, um, and vowels and, and structure and all of that sort of stuff, the actual process of you writing these books, which acoustics is um, is part of one of your books as well, um, the process of writing has often been romanticised. You know, the the writer sits up in their attic, they've got the glass of whiskey and a cigar, and it's three a.m. and that's when all their creativity pours out, and then the dawn chorus comes, and you've written this masterpiece. Um, that's what I imagine, anyway. <laughs> so, what was the reality for you writing? these books and how did you fit that into your schedule yeah so replace uh, whiskey and cigars with coffee and <laughs> i i would just get up in the morning and uh have some coffee uh do a bit of meditation and then i i i'm a big believer in this system called the pomodoro technique um uh, if you're aware of it, it was created by a college student and he took one of those um, little kitchen timers that looks like, I'll say it your way, a tomato. And <laughs> so it's the, the Pomodoro tomato and he would set it at 25 minutes. And for those 25 minutes, you turn off all your alerts, you, everything, the phone goes in another room and you just write. And you don't, and then when that, that timer dings, you take a five minute break and then I would do another 25 minutes and then I would be done for the day. So it was an hour and, um, and I just did that every day. And before you know it, you have the first draft of the book done. And then the rewriting process was the same. Then I would just sit and I would go through it. And the same thing, I would just use, spend an hour a day, sometimes a little more, but usually just an hour a day. Yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll have to give that a go. I think there's so many distractions, isn't there, in oh. modern day life that you think, ah, oh, but I could just go and get that cup of tea or oh, what's Instagram doing? Or <laughs> And you just... Yeah, well, look, if you allow your phone to give you an alert that said somebody just mentioned you in a comment, it is impossible to ignore that because the first thought is, what did they say? Right? I mean, listen... Social media is, is constantly refined by brilliant behavioral scientists to capture your attention because they make billions of dollars off of your attention. 
That's what they sell. When, when, when the platform is free, yeah, you are the product. You're what's being bought and sold. And so you, you just, you cannot have the phone in, in the room with you and, and get anything done. You can't. You think you can, you can't. And how, how would you suggest or what's your advice for a vocal coach who wants to create some passive income uh, going about thinking you know, their avenue, whether it's a podcast or um, maybe not a podcast, but a, a book or an ebook or I don't know, a, a, series, a course or something. How would you how, how would you advise going about that and getting your voice heard? I mean, I don't know about you, but over lockdown, it seemed that only thing that we could do is online courses and a lot of things are being sold to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts there? Um, my thoughts are to, to find your audience. Who is it that you want to work with? Who do you want to attract? And then start answering their questions, start solving their problems and start to build um, an email list and, and engage this email list. And, you know, what I'll often see is if you go to a voice teacher's website and they'll say, sign up for my email list, but they're not getting anything in return. And the last thing people want these days is more email. So what you usually want to do is create an opt-in, a freebie, an exchange for the email list that you're going to give them something of value, something that solves a problem. And then you need to you know, you need to correspond with this email list. And, and even if you're just sending them out, hey, I just read a great article I want to share with you. Here's a great video I just saw. You don't have to initially be creating content, but you, you have to start attracting people that want to learn about voice, but more importantly, want to learn about voice in the way that you teach it, in the way that you explain it. Listen, uh, I can go on my YouTube channel and find you plenty of comments that will show you I am not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, there, there are some people just the sight of me sends them into a rage. Fair enough. <laughs> You're not going to be for everybody, but but there are people who are want to who are going to want to learn from you, not from me, not from anyone else. You're the one that's really going to to teach the voice in a way that connects with them. Your energy, the way you talk, it's, it's incredibly important. And so you just, you just start putting yourself out there and creating content, you know, writing blogs, which, um, you know, if you spend a little bit of time, think about, just learn a little bit about SEO and blog writing and just write a few really good core pieces of content. You don't need to be blogging constantly, but if you have a handful of great articles that, that answer a question, that help solve a problem, you start to create yourself in a position of value for people. Yeah. And then you can sell them something. I'm sorry, but you got to be careful. If all you do, if you only uh, communicate with your list to sell them, they're, they're not going to respond. So first build up that, that relationship. And then your product is kind of the secondary, you can go with your creative flow then, and you've got the audience totally in mind. Exactly. Exactly. I spend more time creating free content than I do things people have to pay for. Yeah. As, and a, a spooky um, a thing, actually, I remember there was a particular topic in mind. I, I can't remember what it was, but I was thinking 
Oh, I really want to look into that because that's an area of my knowledge that I'm a little foggy on. And then that afternoon, your mailing list came through and it was that subject. <laughs> and I was like, John? <laughs> so that's a good example of how you're speaking to, to, to me. Somehow you were in my brain and took it. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's really funny. You don't know what's going to connect with people. You, you can't try and be too overly clever about it. You you just have to think, you know, what are people asking me? What do people want to know? How do I explain it? It's it's really interesting. I I will have podcasts that I put out that where I'll really go for something like, all right, this is something people are looking for, and I'm going to give a a, a podcast on this particular subject. And then some of my podcasts are just about mindset or thoughts about singing or how to, how to break through or, or, you know, if you're really feeling stuck or frustrated kind of things. And it's, it's not really something people are necessarily searching for, but it's things that I, that I find myself thinking about. And when I talk to people, it'll often be those episodes are the ones that really struck home with them. Mm. Yeah. So put Put yourself out there, you know, communicate. Don't don't be afraid to, you know, you're going to hold back your, your best knowledge for only people. Who, I, I put everything out there. Yeah. And that's why we love following you and, and chatting to you because because of that. Uh, and, and speaking a little bit about getting that audience and kind of fumbling your way through online digital market marketing. Um how relevant would you say Facebook still is in amongst the social media fog? I feel like fog is the word of the day. <laughs> it is. It, you know, Facebook, look, it's ever changing um, because, because Facebook created something that was absolutely brilliant for advertisers and absolutely terrifying for uh, private citizens. And because what, again, you become the product. So everything you do on Facebook is, is tracked. And Facebook, now it's changing uh, primarily with the Safari browser, but Facebook would track you when you would leave the platform. And so Facebook knows if you've been to certain sites, you know, Google Maps are really, really handy, aren't they? But Google knows if you went to Guitar Center, Google knows if you went to the bridal shop and then all of this is sold to advertisers, all of it. You're constantly tracked. Um, but as, as governments and, and privacy concerns grow, some of that is being mitigated. Having said that, Facebook really is kind of uh, the, the top of the heap, especially if you're just getting started. Google is a little more intimidating. It's a little bit trickier um, you can you can spend a lot of money quickly on Google if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, Facebook makes it easier. They they really kind of lure you in with would you like to boost the post, this and that. Um, but if you know, for instance, if you are uh, seeing people in person again uh, for voice lessons, it, it's in in your area. You can actually, with, with Facebook, just get that geographic area, people that have certain interests, et cetera. So it, it can be rather helpful. There are different uh, approaches and methods. You can go straight for the sale, but very often what can be very handy is send people to a 
a freebie. Run your ad to something free, you know, how to, how to fix your vocal break or how to, how to ace your audition, something like that. And then from there, you can create audiences to then go and remarket to people who, who know who you are. And then you maybe uh, uh, offer something to them that's mm -hmm. going to be a sale. Mm. And you did an awesome webinar for us, uh, and you can find that on the on the BAST website, www.basttraining.com forward slash store, or it's in the membership. Um, and that goes kind of deep into the pixel stuff um, and kind of how to really use yeah. Facebook a, a bit, um, you know, on a deeper level, which is really, really helpful for, as you say, um, new to, to, to kind of social media and using that for your business. Um, I'd like to touch on one last thing, if that's okay. And it, this is something that I feel has has been really helpful to me in the studio when it comes to being stumped. Um, and I think that it's quite a good thing to celebrate being stumped because I think that it's something that it, we're going to experience as teachers. We're going to have that student that we go, oh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm not sure. And, and and not to be afraid of that, because it is okay when we're not sure of the answer. And I feel that's something that you really advocate as well. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, but this is your teaching triangle. So do you mind giving us like a little brief outline of what that involves and how we can use that in our thinking when we're in front of that student who we are having a big old question mark? With? Yeah, so it, it it's just a way when you get stuck to kind of pull back and organize your thoughts. Because often when we get stuck, we don't know what to ask ourselves. So it's a series of, of questions that, that you can go through and, and just really um, simplify things and break it down. And so the main parts of the triangle uh, are the, the three Cs. You have uh, the condition, which is basically, what am I hearing? What is the student doing? Yeah, is this something that I want to uh, continue with or is this an issue? And then you go into the consider part of the phase. And this is you as the, as the teacher taking this information from the student and breaking it down. What am I hearing? Right, and why am I hearing this? And this is where knowledge of the vocal fold function and uh, acoustics can be helpful because it's the, you know, what am I hearing? Why am I hearing it? That's the deep question. And, and the better you get your why, the better you are on the, on the third corner of the triangle, which is the consult, which you, you head, hand back to the student. Okay. I, that's where you make your corrections, etc. You know, and when I'm listening to a student, I'm really listening for another little triangle, which is, uh, I call it ACV, air cord vowel. Basically, how much air is being sent to the cord of the vocal folds, right? How much of the folds resisting this air? Is that in balance? And then what's happening with the resonance? And I, I think of resonance and resonance adjustments as changes in vowel. I, I, don't, I don't have people get their larynx higher or lower unless they're absolute beginners and I need to make them aware of it, I, I make shifts in the vowel, in the, in the depth of the vowel, in the color of the vowel to help, to help do that. You know, and, and then when you're, when you're handing back, when you're creating an exercise, I mean, there's basically, you, you have the, the choice of your scale, 
your scale pattern. You have the choice of what vowel you're going to use, and you have a choice of if you're going to use a consonant and if you're going to use a consonant, which one? Because all you know, different consonants will have, they will tend to give you um, different results. And so, yeah, the, the, the triangle is, is just a system to, to help keep you on track. And, and, and if you record, let's say you have a tricky student, record them, ask permission, and then afterwards do like a little post-mortem, break it down and really track through what you're hearing. And, okay, I gave them this. What was the result? What was happening with the air, the vocal folds, the vowel? What could I have fixed differently? I think that reflection process is quite important as a, as a coach because once you, you've figured those patterns out, when you hear that again, you can go, ah, that worked well there and I'm hearing pretty much the same thing there. So what worked? I mean, it's not a one size fits all as we know. It might not work for that student, but that's the life of singing teaching. Um, but it, it's likely that it, it might do something. So I think that's quite a good uh, reflection exercise as well. Absolutely. John, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Thank you for giving me your time. Where can people find you and your books and your podcast? Oh, yeah. Just go to johnhenny.com, H-E-N-N-Y. And uh, up there in the, in the top uh, under resources, you can find all the podcast episodes there. You can find the books there. You can find my courses there. All that fun stuff. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Dear fellow Curious Voice Nerd, have you got your ticket to our next event yet? Well, head over to www.basstraining.com forward slash store and we'll save you a seat. That's www.bastraining.com forward slash store. Don't worry, you haven't totally missed out on our past events. A recording is waiting for you there too. You probably want to sign up to our mailing list though, just to make sure you never miss another cordial invitation. So follow the link in our podcast description to join. See you at the next one.